Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care, and with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi, stay tuned listeners. As many of you know, Cafe Insider is our new subscription service that includes a podcast co-hosted by Ann Milgram and me. Each week, we break down the news and make sense of what's happening. From time to time, we make portions of Cafe Insider episodes available in the Stay Tuned feed. Today, we're bringing you a segment from our most recent episode. We dive deep into all the statements that Andy McCabe, the former acting director of the FBI, has been making on television and in his new book that's out today, including discussions among top DOJ officials about the removal of President Trump from office pursuant to the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. If you'd like to hear the full episode, become a member by going to cafe.com slash insider. You can hear our full discussion that covers Trump's national emergency declaration, the latest news on Roger Stone, and more. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Full episodes of Stay Tuned remain free every Thursday, and the subscription allows us to keep doing what we're doing. And now here's a portion of our conversation on Cafe Insider. From Cafe, welcome to Cafe Insider. I'm Preet Bharara. And I'm Ann Milgram. Hi, Ann. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? So can we deal with the most pressing issue of all first? Yes. So there was some grammatical controversy Ooh, yes. that we uh, engaged in last week. The difference between the, the past tense of plead, pled versus pleaded. And I say You go pled, pled I go pleaded. And then so I had a point in my favor in the past week and I tweeted about it and it, I think it generated like a, a million views <laughs> on Twitter. It's a Who very knew? hot topic. Because there was a there was a submission made in the Mueller investigation, and in their submission, the formal submission by the special counsel's office, what did they use? Pled. Pled. On sixty minutes on the interview of Andy McCabe, what did they use? I don't remember. Pleaded. Well, I'm, 60, just saying, well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Mueller's team versus sixty minutes. Well, as a, as an American, I stand with special counsel <laughs> Mueller, and I'm going to go pled. But a lot of but a lot of people got up in arms about. Pleaded versus pled. And I had a lot of support for pled. I didn't see any experts in grammar, but what are the, I can't even, I don't even know. You know, know I think probably technically um, the grammarians probably would vote for for pleaded. Is that what they're called, grammarians? It's a really interesting debate. It's actually not that interesting. (laughs) (laughs) It should should be pled. It's more elegant. And I I guarantee you that years from now, it'll it'll end up being pled. Oh, because somebody got. It sounds in weird to say pleaded. Bit, and said, yeah. yeah, and yeah. said, um, you know, the AP style book says pleaded, as if the AP style book is the Bible. But I think that's probably why I was taught pleaded. Anyway. Pretty interesting to issue. each his or her own. Yeah. All right, so so moving moving on from pled yes. to Andrew McCabe. Andrew We're recording McCabe. this on Tuesday morning. His book is out. 
I have not read the book yet. I did watch the 60 Minutes. What do you, what do you mean you haven't read the book? It's 10.37 a.m. You haven't have finished reading the it's book. It's been at least two hours. It's part, it's part of the deal. Um, but he was on 60 Minutes, and yes. he's been doing a number of interviews, and he's been saying a lot of things. It seems like we should go. We should take a step back, mm-hmm. because a lot of the controversy is about uh, what he said, uh, what Rod Rosenstein said, right. whether or not Rod Rosenstein said he would wear a wire, whether or not... Uh, they were going to invoke the 25th Amendment. Yes. So maybe, maybe let's go back to the crazy eight days between the time that Jim Comey was fired by the president and that Rod Rosenstein appointed Bob Mueller. It was it was kind of nuts. It was insane. And you can tell from McCabe's comments and from other comments that have been made publicly that they were scrambling to figure out what to do and how to address it. And one of the interesting things I thought was McCabe's sense if we credit this, which I do, that his time was also potentially limited, that he had this sort of sense of a ticking time bomb that he could be taken out as the head of the FBI, the acting director at any moment in time. And so, you know, there's this side of them trying to figure out what to do. There's also internally within the Bureau, him scampering to try to figure out, like, how do we make sure that, you know, I don't know if you've been there. I definitely feel like I've been there where you think, okay, somebody's coming after me. We have investigations that are serious. Let's make sure that they're, you know, appropriately, that they're left in a good in a good way when I, I walk mean, out the door. What he, I think what he said on 60 Minutes was he wanted to put the Russia case on sure footing so the case, quote, couldn't vanish in the night. Right. Which is a pretty dramatic way of putting it. And also pretty interesting that he was worried about that, right? I mean, that's that to me is telling. And, and I think we have seen law enforcement agencies do that before, particularly if you think about changes in administration, when there might be a new director coming in, a new AG coming in with different priorities. And law enforcement does work to say, like, look, we have sufficient evidence to be making this case or working on this case. Have I told you the story about how I found out about Jim Comey being fired? No. So I never thought it would happen because it seemed, you know, a bridge too far. Yeah. And it was my first speech at NYU Law School. And uh, they were having a reception for me and I was meeting members of the board. And I, I gave a short speech and then there was a question and answer period in the evening. And a judge from the Eastern District, who I've chided about this since, yeah, said to me, he raised his hand and said, you know, Preet, uh, hypothetically, if the president were to fire Jim Comey, what would you think of that? And I said, well, you know, with all due respect, uh, Your Honor, oh, no. <laughs> that I don't think that would happen. That yeah. seems um, impossible to conceive. But I started going on and someone else in the audience saved me and, and raised his hand and said, Preet, it's not a hypothetical, it just happened. <laughs> so I'm in front of 150 people. Uh, yeah. Uh, kind of that's reacting a pretty, that's in, a pretty in rough hypo from a judge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it's not a hypothetical. Yeah. But, then, but then that evening, my phone didn't stop ringing. The next day, my phone didn't stop ringing. Yep. Um, people, including members of Congress, were, were calling everyone. Yeah. Every reporter in the, in the country seemed to want to know what was going on. And there was, there was a, a day or two or five when anything seemed possible. And if you go back and you remember, you know, it was widely believed and then sort of confirmed by the president when he did the interview with Lester Holt and said Russia was on his mind, that he had just overnight obstructed an investigation. Obviously, there are other details and facts that you have to consider. But at that moment, yeah. it looked like the president was capable of anything, capable of shutting down anything. And so the sort of extreme reactions by Rod Rosenstein, which I credit to be valid, right? I I credit that too. Were probably happening. And so one of the things that they claim was talked about, but there's a difference of opinion. We can go through the the, the phrases, the phraseology being used by Rod Rosenstein now was Rod Rosenstein, according to some, said he would wear a wire when he went to go talk to the president. Do you believe that's true? So so a couple of things. So first of all, I, I still remember where I was when I found out that Comey was fired. And I don't know if that's true of all Americans and everyone here, but it definitely was a moment for me where, you know, and I, I of course, like, you know, Jim Comey, and it's just something I never saw coming. And so I also, 
um, remember just breathing an incredible sigh of relief when I heard that Mueller was the special counsel and that was going to be that he was going to be appointed. And in between that week was an insane week. You know, I remember just thinking, like, how how are we going to get through this as a, as a nation and as a government? Think about the the wearing a wire. I have a few reactions to it. First of all, in a million years, it wouldn't really occur to me to think personally about me wearing a wire. Right. And I've had plenty of law enforcement agents wear wires. It's just, it's not the first thing that would come to my mind. And it's pretty extreme. It's pretty extreme, right? It's not crazy, though, in the following sense. And I've told this story a number of times. When the president called me two days before I ended up being fired, and I thought about returning the call. Did know, you record June, it? No, we, we considered right. recording it, like in a serious way, not for longer than 10 minutes. Yep. And then we changed our minds and thought, you know, that seems kind of nuts yep. to record the president of the United States. But, you know, when we said it in the room, when we thought I would might return the call, but to be safe and to make sure that for posterity the conversation was preserved, I wasn't joking when I said right. it. And I might say later if things had calmed down, which I think is what happened here. Right, I so think that's right. So you had this crazy right. period. You had Rod Rosenstein, and I don't know. I know I know Rod, and I also know Andy McCabe. I know I go. I should state for everyone that I know Andy McCabe going back, you know, to two thousand two, two thousand three. So sixteen, seventeen years. He was an agent, an FBI agent in New York. On, um, on a squad that did Russian organized crime cases. And, and so when, you know, when you think about Andy McKay's background, in part, he has been an expert on the line dealing with, with Russian crime yes. uh, and knows you know, Eurasian crime very well. And those are the kinds of cases I did with him and his colleagues on that squad. So I credit Andy McCabe. And, and it may be the case that it was not said in jest, but now many months later when things have calmed down a little bit in the mind of Rod Rosenstein and others, He's characterizing those statements in a different way. I don't think it was said in jest. And there, there are two reasons why. First of all, McCabe said that he said it twice. And so once, I think you and I would think, well, it could be just sort of a throwaway line that he said. Twice, is, it's very different. The second thing is that, well, there's, there's two other things, actually. One is that Rosenstein's statement said he never authorized anyone to wear a wire, correct? Like, he doesn't yeah, say, he doesn't I never say, said, right? <laughs> right, if, right. You're, if you're innocent there, you say, I never said where I would wear a wire. You'd say that's completely false. And instead, he sort of, he's very lawyerly in his language and basically says, I never authorized anyone to wear a wire. But the second piece, which I think is also pretty important, is that McCabe, and, and there's a piece here where I would sort of push McCabe a little bit on, on how credible he is and what he says. He says, oh, I never considered it. But he went to his general counsel and he discussed it with his executive team. So there's at least a moment, you know, if he really didn't credit it at all, he doesn't talk to the GC, the general counsel and his executive team. There's a moment at least that they're all trying to figure out what to do. And so he even floats that to his folks, who I assume could corroborate McCabe's version of events. Look, it's also not crazy in the following sense. If you're an investigator and you think that something bizarre is happening and you think that the president might be compromised, which is, and some people think that right. at this moment. You consider all your options, and you and you put them on the table, and you mention them, and maybe you don't perceive like in the same way with the phone call, which is not quite parallel. But we consider doing a variety of things, including recording the phone call, including having a witness, and then ultimately we decided not to do any of those things. And here, clearly, they ultimately decided not to do any of those things. Doesn't mean they didn't happen. And with respect to the Twenty Fifth Amendment and its invocation, yeah, I absolutely believe that was talked about. Also, I agree, and probably also not in jest. And if you look at if you look at the the official response by DOJ to the 60 Minutes interview, yeah. it's, it's just like the, the wearing a wire. He says, as the Deputy Attorney General previously has stated, based on his personal dealings with the President, there is no basis to invoke the 25th Amendment, nor was the DAG in a position to consider invoking the 25th Amendment. Well, that doesn't really answer the question, right. does it? It means the DAG doesn't have the authority, which is true. It's not the Deputy Attorney General. It means the Deputy Attorney General doesn't have the authority to do it, nor does he think he currently right now um, is unfit for office under the 25th Amendment. 
And you know, and, and even even Andy McCabe, and this hasn't gotten as much play, even his spokesperson said to clarify, at no time did Mr. McCabe participate in any extended discussions about the use of the twenty fifth Amendment, nor is he aware of such discussions. Right. It's they're sitting in a room and they're spitballing on what are during we gonna do time. during the craziest time in their in, in either of their lifetime in law enforcement, right? I mean, I think it's fair to say for what they've both been through, this is probably well, I mean, let's take out sort of nine eleven and terrorism attacks, but in terms of dealing with the executive branch, there's probably this is completely unprecedented for both of them. And they're just throwing around ideas. And Rosenstein in particular does seem to have been just throwing everything at the wall, right? And just sort of, and ultimately he comes to this conclusion, I think, to to appoint the special counsel, Robert Mueller, which is a, you know, I think was the right result to come out of this. Well, he was doing that in part, I think, um, because he was really, I mean, I have personal basis to know that Rod Rosenstein was, and I would be also incredibly rattled, stressed, under pressure. Yes. Not just because... The president may have been compromised and he was doing nutty things, but also because he himself came under enormous fire. Completely. Because he wrote, that, so. silly, he wrote right. that silly memo purporting to justify the firing of Jim Comey that then the president seized upon the grounds <laughs> that were stated in it that he had mistreated Hillary Clinton. Nobody believes that was the basis for Jim Comey being fired right. at all. And so to make things right, he's like... Here you go. I'm going to give you guys Bob Mueller. Yeah. Don't you think one of the, one of the things I thought was so interesting about the McCabe interview was him talking about when Rod Rosenstein wrote the memo that Trump wanted Rosenstein to put in mention of Russia to basically connect all these pieces together, right? And to basically sort of argue Comey's gone too far in the Russia investigation. Rosenstein refuses to do it because he thinks that's obstruction to basically say this has anything to do with Russia. And he doesn't want to be part of any effort to obstruct justice and to basically, you know, to criticize or fire Comey because of that. Trump says, whatever, I still want it in. Rosenstein doesn't put it in. But then Trump talks to Lester Holt on NBC News and And says, Russia, right? He puts it in that (laughs) way. But I actually think that's much more compelling. That's a huge piece of evidence on the obstruction question, because it's not just a throwaway line to Lester Holt. And I didn't think it was. I thought it was a serious line to Lester Holt. But it's not true. If it's true, it's not just one instance where the president is saying, I'm connecting this to Russia. It's that he'd spent a week before trying to convince the deputy attorney general to connect it. And, And how do you think that reflects on Rod Rosenstein? To me, it seems a little bit nefarious. So he wasn't really duped, right, into writing this memo. He put some thought and effort into what was appropriate to put in and what was not. So it it ends up being even more pretextual than has been discussed before. So basically he knew he was writing a pretextual memo. He, He totally did. And he was in some ways trying to protect the president from himself. If he knew that the president's basis was in part Russia and didn't put it in the memo because he knew how damaging that would be. So do you think that Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, wrote the memo thinking that it, that because a lot of people would agree that Comey did not do the right thing in, in his handling of the Clinton email announcements, right? And, and sort of how he went to the mic twice. So do you think that Rosenstein wrote the memo thinking, well, people are going to be with me on this? Yeah, you know, I don't know. My view is that it was not a good job he did knowing what the the reason for the memo was, and that he was searching for, you know, a basis, credible basis, to say that Jim Comey had, you know, transgressed his role and had usurped the role of the Justice Department and had done other things that were not proper. I think in his favor, he may not have appreciated uh, that his memo was going to be used as the be-all and end-all 
for the justification for firing Jim Comey, right? That, that he was going to be made the marked man. And, and his reputation, bipartisan reputation, served under right. Democratic president, Republican president. Yeah, Republican appointee. And but, they were, yeah, they were basically, yes. they were going to use his, his standing in the legal community and in the law enforcement community as, as a basis, and he felt used. And so I th- think he didn't fully predict how much he was going to be on the hook for it. So Sessions could have written the memo that ultimately was written. Right. I mean, if Russia was involved, Sessions was recused on Russia, so he could not have written that. But the ultimate memo that gets written, being critical, being critical of Comey's actions with regard to the Hillary Clinton investigation could have been done by Sessions. But to your point, Rod Rosenstein's reputation in the legal community at that time particularly was very high and very strong in a bipartisan way. Sessions was not. Yeah, but it went from, you know, on a scale of one to 10, it went from like a nine to a two. Yeah, <laughs> at best. And he, at, at yeah. best. And then, you know, he's like, how do I get back up to a seven or right. an eight? Yeah. I'm not saying he thought about it this way, but in retrospect, you can look at it this way. He's like, yeah, you know what's going to get me back up to a seven or an eight professionally in certain circles? Bob Mueller. Bob Mueller. Yeah. Here's the other crazy thing that McCabe said about the president. And I want to know if you, if you credit it. And on the question of whether or not North Korea had a certain quality missile, his intelligence agencies were saying one thing. And then according to McCabe, the president said, I don't care. I believe Putin. That's I know. Pretty, that's it, pretty damning. It, it's unbelievable. And I think McCabe offered that both as a fact, but also as part of the justification to open up the counterintelligence investigation into the president. There's one piece of that, which I want to be a little bit cautious on, is that everything else McCabe says seems to be firsthand. And this meeting, McCabe was not personally at. He had one of his senior folks at the meeting. And so, you know, we've all played the game, played the game of telephone. And so I think we should be a little cautious of, did Trump actually say, I trust Putin? Regardless, it does seem very clear that Trump went against yet again, and we've seen this, we've seen this in other, in other contexts, but he went against the intelligence community, his intelligence community, to basically side with a view that has no basis in fact, as known to the intelligence experts, which was clearly sort of being pushed by Putin or somebody else. And so I find that unbelievably problematic. The other thing that McCabe said, and he articulated, I think, really well, and I struggle to articulate this, and I wonder what you think about it, Nobody has to prove why the president has done anything. Right. But I still am really fascinated by this question of what would motivate him, particularly in the face of, you know, all this national scrutiny from the moment his campaign is running. You know, Manafort is fired in August of 2016 for having ties to Ukraine and the pro-Russian government. There are allegations in December and January 2016, 2017 about Michael Flynn contacting the Russians and lying about it. So this is all... You know, it's all real. And the president has continued to act in a certain way towards Russia that just dumbfounds me. Yeah, no, that's why we're having this discussion. That's why it's so interesting. Now, on the other side of the coin, we should just mention that Andy McCabe, who I like, I think is a decent and honorable person, and who I worked with closely, both as a line prosecutor when he was a line agent and also as U.S. attorney when he was a high-ranking member of the FBI. But he has some blemishes. He does. On his record as well. I don't think they, they justify his having been fired 26 hours before his pension fully vested. But the Office of Inspector General, you know, Michael Horowitz, who someone else I know and also happens to be an alum of the Southern District of New York, you know, we're everywhere, found that on, on a few occasions, I think three occasions, Andy McCabe was misleading about whether or not he had given certain information to a press outlet. And Andy, on the 60 Minutes interview, doesn't say that his statements were not wrong, but says he did not intentionally lie and among other things, he was under a lot of stress, and maybe he didn't understand the question. You know, I think overall, McCabe is an, is an honest person, and I credit 
most of these other things he says, but you know, he had, I, I he has heard he his credibility. Said, yeah. yeah. I wish he just said in the interview, you know, look, I messed up, right. I was I, law enforcement leaks and you and I have talked about this before. It's something I really do not like, but it is part and parcel of what law enforcement sometimes, sometimes does. Again, I think it's incredibly problematic. I don't think anyone in law enforcement should ever leak, but that's less problematic than the fact that he, he gets asked about it. Right. Yeah. It's like just own up to the, you know, it's it's the cover up, not the crime often. Yeah. That, I mean, sometimes gets have, people in trouble. Sometimes we have to be careful about calling something a leak. And, you know, the mere disclosure of information is not always a leak. It's not always Agreed. a leak. And you know, sometimes it's totally, I'm not saying this was, but it's totally appropriate for, for the press agent for a DA's office or a U.S. attorney's office or the Department of Justice to explain something on background and right. explain this is why it's happening in this way. Um, you know, this is when, why the brief was filed at this time or, or you know, something that's innocuous. It's not going to yes. hurt the case. It's not going to undermine anyone's right to a, for a fair trial, but it's not a leak. Right. And, and when I think about a leak, I do, and, and I think it is distinguishable even potentially in this case, I do think about a leak as related to an investigation, something that's non-public information that shouldn't be made public at that moment in time. And so, you know, on the on the underlying question of McCabe here, I, Trump might have fired him anyway, but I personally would have greatly, I would have respected him a lot more if he'd walked in and basically said, look, yeah, here's what we were doing. Here's why I did it. I was the acting director and I made a decision that this is how I should proceed and this is the information I should provide. And so when he said that on 60 Minutes, I sort of felt like, you know, look, and we've been talking so much about false statements. You know, everybody says, this is what Manafort said. Well, I didn't remember everything. I forgot some stuff. I wasn't, you know, it's always the same story of I didn't lie. And at some point, if you did lie, it's better just to say, look, I did it. I shouldn't have done it and move on. I hope you've enjoyed this sample of the Cafe Insider podcast. To hear the rest of the episode, become a member now at cafe.com slash insider and get access to all Insider content. That's cafe.com slash insider.